0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we will begin reading in verse 16. Uh, We will read verse 16 to verse 19. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the strength and power of your Spirit. And Lord, we do ask that you would give to us grace this morning and assist us as we learn what it means not to quench the Spirit. Help us, Lord, after hearing to obey. Help us, Lord, to see and believe. Lord, I decrease that you may increase be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Well, good morning once again. Saints, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our short series, Encouragements While We Wait. We probably have about four more sermons in this short series. Uh, I, I assume that we may be starting the book of Revelation sometime in August or so. August, September in the fall. Looking forward to beginning that um, journey with you all through the book of Revelation. This morning, we come to a short passage of scripture uh, that requires, let's say, proper background in order to, in order to understand what God intends for us to understand about His church. Part of the reason uh, that we do this is because we don't have some of the advantages of the original audience of this letter. The original audience, in this case, was the church of Thessalonica. And they would have spent a considerable amount of time with the Apostle Paul. He planted the church. Paul planted the church. He would have then stayed with the church and helped to establish the church on the foundation of God's word. When Paul departed from that church... It wasn't a a goodbye, never see you again. He would continue on his missionary journey, but he would send letters back to the churches that he planted. In this case, uh, the church of Thessalonica has two letters from the Apostle Paul. He would encourage them in the faith. He would remind them of his teachings. He would possibly correct error that he's heard of and then also give commands. So then, These churches could read something brief like, Do not quench the Spirit. And because they had spent so much time with the Apostle Paul, they could fill in the blanks that sometimes you and I have. They could fill in all the background needed and make sense of the passage and passages like the ones that are before us today. Now, we don't have the same advantages as they did. But we can say that we do have an advantage. The church then and the church today, we both have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. So we, we can understand the scriptures, but we also have the advantage of having all of God's word. We don't just have the teachings from an elder pastor and one or two letters from the apostle Rather, we have all the letters from the Apostle. We have the Gospels. We also have the Old Testament. We have a great advantage that maybe they did not have. But this morning, we must practice, and you might want to take notes on this part, we must practice the hermeneutical principle called scriptura scripture, Scriptura scripture. That is, interpreting Scripture with Scripture. In order to fill in the blanks, So that we might understand what the Apostle Paul is teaching us this morning. Scriptura scripturae, which means scripture interprets scripture. Uh, We might imagine, if you will, the church of Thessalonica gathering together to hear the letter from the Apostle Paul read. And when they hear the words read by their pastor, do not quench the spirit. The church may say amen or nod in agreement, knowing exactly what the Apostle Paul meant. Whereas when we hear, do not quench the spirit. We might be puzzled and say, what does that mean? What does it mean? Don't quench the spirit. So today, with God's help, we shall consider two points surrounding the command, do not quench the spirit. And we will present them in the form of a question. Let's begin with the number, with our first one. Number one, what does the spirit produce that we must not quench? What does the spirit produce that we must not quench? Again, verse 19, do not quench the spirit. As we are uh, endeavoring to discover what the spirit produces that we must not quench, we must ask this question, what does it mean to quench? What does it mean to quench? And I think that very simply, we all understand what it means. Uh, To quench evokes the idea of putting out a fire. Stifling. Now, we think, quenching thirst. That's the opposite. When we quench a thirst, we're satisfying it. When we quench the spirit, we're working against him. It's putting out a fire. It's stifling. It is suppressing something. That's to quench. In the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, the foolish virgins say, our lamps are going out. Uh, The light of our lamps, they would say, is diminishing. Diminishing is the same word for quenching. It's something that's deteriorating. It's uh, approaching non-existence. That's what it means to quench. We are told not to diminish, not to lessen, not to quench the Spirit. We must be clear, though, it's impossible to quench God himself, the Holy Spirit, It is impossible to quench, to put out, to diminish, to lessen God the Holy Spirit. Paul is not saying, don't lessen God the Holy Spirit. Not the case. Paul is not saying, uh, do not diminish God the Holy Spirit. We could never diminish the Holy One, the Eternal One. We can never take from God or give to God. He is all that He is. When Paul commands, do not quench the Spirit, we must know it's impossible to quench the Spirit in the sense of lessening God, the Trinity, Holy Spirit. So he's not talking about God the Spirit being quenched, but rather what God the Spirit produces. That is what we must not quench. We must not quench what God the Holy Spirit is working to produce in his church. So then what the question should be, what then does the Holy Spirit produce so that we would not quench it? Let's just say this, many things. If we were to try to make a list of all of the things that the Holy Spirit produces, uh, we would have an exhaustive list. We could never uh, give a one, two, three of all of the things the Holy Spirit produces. But this morning, in order to organize our thoughts, here's a few things that the Holy Spirit produces that we must not quench. Truth holiness, peace, and order. We're going to go through each of these, but truth, holiness, peace, and order. Dear saints, Christ has ascended to heaven. He has left his spirit with us to complete his work until he returns. The spirit is actively working in the church and he is producing truth, Holiness, peace, and order amongst a myriad of other things. He is readying us, his church, his bride, for his return. Do not quench the Spirit. In the work of the Spirit, do not stifle, lessen, or diminish the work of God the Holy Spirit. So then, let's look at some scriptures together. Passages where we see truth, holiness, peace, and order being produced by the Spirit. Let's go to them too. First Thessalonians chapter 1, if you would. A few pages back. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5. The apostle says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Paul begins his letter with encouragements and praise to God for the Thessalonians. He thanks God that they received and believed the gospel and the testimony of faith and obedience has resounded in the surrounding areas concerning the church of Thessalonica. Why did they believe the gospel in a way that they were willing to endure persecution in spite of difficulty? It was because the power of the gospel is more than just words. The power of the gospel is more than just words, saints. The power of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's the power of the gospel. It produces salvation. This is why we are not ashamed of the gospel. This is why we are not ashamed of the words of the gospel, because it produces salvation. People are saved when they hear the gospel and believe. It's the word of God that gives life. It's the word of God that takes dead men and breathes into them the breath of life. It's the gospel that makes us a new creation in Christ Jesus. The gospel is produced or the Holy Spirit produces a message that's different than all the other messages of that time and this time. This message is being given to us every single day. And there is only one message that produces salvation. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The difference is truth. Truth is the difference. The Holy Spirit produces this truth. In 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul says that the sign of an apostle was worked among the Corinthians with much effort and patience. The same thing was present in Corinth. Paul proved his message was true, not by his own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is, there is truth. And how do we know? Because people are saved. Where the Holy Spirit is active, truth is present. Truth is spoken. No matter the size of the church, the Holy Spirit produces truth there. No matter the, the eyes from the outside that are looking in, where the truth of God is spoken, the Holy Spirit is actively at work. If one speaks a message from the Holy Spirit, the message is the very Word of God. What I am saying to you this morning is not the words of a man, it's the Word of God. God is speaking to us this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. You hear that? You receive the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it not as a word from men, but what it really is. What is this this morning? The word of God, Paul says, which also performs its work in you who believe. How do you know its truth? It's working in you. How do you know it's truth? How do you know it's from God? You're no longer dead men. You're no longer dead women. You are brought from death to life by God the Holy Spirit who works truth in you. You've heard it before that when the word of God is spoken or taught or preached in an accurate manner the Holy Spirit is at work. It is the word of God. It is though God himself is speaking to us. It is a prophetic word in that sense. We say therefore that the Spirit produces truth through those whom he has called to preach that truth. The Spirit not only preaches produces truth, but he produces holiness. What's the the effect of hearing this truth? It's changed lives. This is the will of God for your life. Paul says in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, this is the will of God for your life, your sanctification. Your sanctification. What is sanctification? One theologian has said of sanctification, it is that gracious operation of the Holy Spirit involving our responsible participation, obedience, by which he delivers us as justified sinners from the pollution of sin, renews our entire nature according to the image of God, listen to this, and enables us to live lives that are pleasing to him. What is sanctification? It is the Holy Spirit making us holy. It is the Holy Spirit helping us put sin to death. To turn from sin and to turn to Christ. Dear uh, pilgrims, God's will for your life is holiness. And this work of sanctification is worked and brought to completion by God the Holy Spirit. We must not quench the Spirit. You hear that? We must not quench the Spirit in His work. Paul utters the command and God's authority backs it up. He says in verse 8, So he who rejects this, this which is being taught, the truth, the truth that will produce sanctification by God the Holy Spirit, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. When the word comes and we say, I don't want it. When the command comes and we say, I don't want it. You're not rejecting me. You're not rejecting Pastor Isaiah. Paul says you are rejecting God who gives you his spirit for the purpose of sanctifying you. God gives you his spirit to make you holy. The path of holiness is obedience to his commands. You cannot be holy without obeying his commands. Obedience of the commands. Turn away from the sins of the flesh and turn into the deeds and the desires and the work of the Spirit. The, product, the, the, the result of that is holiness. Don't you want to put away sin? Don't you want sin to be put to death in your life? It's the work of the Spirit. Then don't quench that work. Don't stifle that work. If we are not walking in accordance to the commands of God. And we are Corrected. And we reject that correction. We're not rejecting the commands of a man. We're quenching the Spirit's work in our lives. We are stifling His work that has been given to us for this very purpose, to make us holy by His truth. First John five three. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And dear saints, the Bible says, and His commandments are not burdensome. Uh, They are not shackles on your feet. They're wings to make you fly. The Spirit produces holiness. And to reject holiness is to reject the Holy Spirit. It is to quench the Spirit. From this context of the epistle, when at the end of this, Paul says, do not quench the Spirit, we can already see the Spirit's work in the epistle in truth and holiness. uh, Connect this verse 19 to verses that we've been studying throughout the entire chapter of Thessalonians. Paul's commanded the church to edify, encourage, build up one another. We've been commanded to live in peace, uh, to admonish the disorderly, to those who labor among you. This is how the church is to be ordered. Admonish those who are disordering it. Edify and encourage one another. Help the weak. Live in Peace. All of these commands that we have been studying, they contribute to peace. They contribute to order, encouragement, and edification. So what are they? You know these well. They are the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know that building one another up is a fruit of the Spirit? Do you know that helping the weak is a fruit of the Spirit? You know, that admonishing the unruly is a fruit of the Spirit. All of these commands that we've been studying from the epistle Paul are really the fruit of the Spirit. Paul does not uh, use that terminology in 1 Thessalonians. But when we compare it to Galatians, we see the same thing. Edification, orderliness, peace, love, help, patience. They are all in concert. They are in harmony with the work of the spirit it's the fruit that the spirit produces in his people galatians 5:22 the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness self-control against such things there there is no law do you think those are the only fruits that the spirit produces not at all all of these things are exactly what paul has taught in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of 1st Thessalonians What does the Spirit produce? Truth, holiness, peace, order, and so much more. When you're teaching your children, what are the fruit of the Spirit? You have a lot more to add to that list now, don't you? When Paul says in verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. Recognizing that we cannot quench God himself, rather that it is the Spirit, it it is what the Spirit produces that we must not quench. We're told in 1 Thessalonians, then don't interrupt his work. Don't hinder, suppress, lessen the production of the Spirit's fruit in you. Also in one another, in the church. Don't lessen it. Encourage it. We're going to get to this in a moment. Stir it up in others. By doing the things that Paul has commanded in the preceding commands, they will contribute. They will cooperate. They will be the very means by which the Spirit produces and fruit and builds up you, His church. We need this. Don't work against it. Uh, dear church, we are called to submit to the Spirit. We are called to yield to His work. We are called to be living in concert with the Spirit, that we might maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do not disrupt His working among us. We have asked and answered, what does it mean to suppress or quench the spirit? Now let us move on to this next question. In what ways do we quench the spirit so that we can avoid it at all cost? What do we do that quenches the spirit so that we can avoid that at all cost? You want to simplify that? In what ways do we quench the spirit? Verse 19 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Do not quench the spirit. How... Do we quench the spirit? How? What do we do? It's a question that we already know the answer to. Dear brothers and sisters, we've been born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We've been polluted with the sin of Adam, our former representative. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How do we quench the spirit? By doing what you want to do. By doing that which is natural to you in accordance with the pollution of our flesh, that is how we quench the Spirit. It is when we do what we want to do according to our sinfulness, according to our sinful desires, when we act in accordance with the flesh, that is how we quench the Spirit. Do what you want to do, and you will quench the Spirit. Do what you want to do, and you will suppress The spirit Uh, do what is natural to you. Obey your natural inclinations and you will do that which is contrary to the spirit. Romans 8, 6 says the mind that is set on flesh is death, but the mind that is set on the spirit is life in peace. There it is what the spirit produces again. But the mind must be set on the spirit and not the flesh. The flesh leads to death. The nature of man has been polluted by sin that leads to death. The flesh which persists, even in God's children born again, must be resisted and put to death. That flesh of death, that flesh of sin, is contrary to the Spirit. And if we yield to the flesh, we will quench the Spirit. Paul says in more detail in Galatians, uh, but at the same time, in the same context of the fruit, concerning the deeds of the flesh, verse 17, the deeds of the flesh, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They, They are in opposition to one another so that you will not do the things that you want to do. The apostle then goes on to describe the deeds of the flesh in verses 19 to 21. Our inclination are to do those things that are contrary to the Spirit if we are left alone. The desires of the Spirit are against the desires of the flesh. And we must walk by the Spirit so that He can produce fruit in us and so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We all can confess that we wrestle against what we want to do. We all wrestled against it this morning, didn't we? Waking up is our first uh, wrestling on the Lord's Day. We wrestle against uh, setting the alarm for just a few more minutes, just a few more minutes. The Spirit quickens our hearts, it quickens our minds, so that we might yield to His work. Why did you get up? The Spirit's working, you did not quench it. No, why did you come? Why are you listening? The Spirit's work, you are not quenching it. To quench the Spirit is to go against that which He is working in us. We must war against the flesh. We must, with the help of the Spirit, put to to death the deeds of the flesh, lest we quench the Spirit. We must remember that we are new creations in Christ, that, that we have been given new desires, that we are no longer bound by the things that we used to do, the things that the flesh desires. We're no longer bound to those things. We've been given new desires. We've been given new natures, new hearts, and God's Spirit abides in us, doesn't He? So that we don't have to gratify the desires of the flesh. You don't have to obey your flesh anymore. You've been given the freedom to now obey the Spirit. Don't quench His work. You're no longer bound by sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are a bond servant of Christ. Walk by the Spirit then. So that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Say what is true. That is who I used to be. Say what is true. I've been given a new heart. Say what is true. I am no longer that man or that woman. How do we quench the Spirit? We also quench the Spirit by neglecting the means the Spirit utilizes for our sanctification. Since we know that the Spirit sanctifies in order to make us holy... We must not neglect the means that he uses in that work of sanctification. What are the things that, that God the Holy Spirit uses to make us holy? You know them. Let's say this, to quench a fire, there must be a fire burning. You, can put, you can't put out a fire if there is no fire. But there must be something that causes the fire to burn. There must be means that ignite the flame. There must be wood and tender and ember and a spark in order for there to be fire. These are the means that cause the fire to burn. And with keeping that a fire analogy, if one stays away from the fire, they will not benefit from its heat and from its warmth. What are the means then that the spirit uses to produce fruit in his church, in his people? They're the means of grace. The means of grace are the means that the Spirit uses or utilizes to produce fruit. Uh, maybe you've never heard that phrase before, the means of grace. What is this means of grace? The means of grace are those things that God has commanded us to do in His church and that He has provided for our strength and increase in likeness. They are the things that God has given to us for our strength walking with Christ, and to help us increase in Christ-likeness. Reading, singing, hearing the word of God preached, the word of God is one of the means that God uses for your strength and to increase your Christ-likeness. Praying, praying together where one speaks but all pray is one of the means that God uses for our strength and Christ-likeness baptism when we come to the waters and unite ourselves to christ symbolically is one of the means coming to the lord's supper it's one of the means that god uses to strengthen you and to increase your christ likeness it is these things that god has commanded and it is these things that god has promised to bless as we attend to these things by faith he's not promised to bless a skit He's not promised to to bless a special rock and roll Christian rock and roll rap group or rock and roll rap group. doesn't make sense. Rock and roll group. Musicians. He's not promised to bless any of these other things in the church except for these things. That's why we use them. It, it, it would be like going to a fire and say, uh, let's go use that wet grass. That'll spark. I hope that you all know you can't start a fire with wet grass. Let's use that dirt. That'll help us start a fire. Those are not means that can be used to ignite a flame. Do you want your hearts to burn for Christ? It's not going to be some kind of special musician coming and singing to you a song and go, Now my heart burns. It's God's word. God's word is the means that he's declared or determined to use for the flame of your heart to be ignited. Do you want your hearts to burn bright for Christ? It's not going to be through having a movie night, which we love to do, but it's not going to be the movie night. It's going to be when you come to the Lord's Supper. And gosh, what is a better picture than seeing the body and the blood of Christ represented before your eyes? Don't go watch the Passion of the Christ. It pales in comparison to what you see here. These are the means that church. These are the means of grace that God has given to strengthen his people and to produce fruit such as peace and holiness, truth and order. Well, what is peace? Peace is that which is provided for you through the person and work of Christ. Romans 1 tells us that we have peace with God through Christ. That's where you have true peace. You may be laying in your bed and saying, I just don't have peace. I'm worried about so many things. Are you right with God through Christ? then you have a peace that the Bible says surpasses all understanding. That's the peace that surpasses all understanding. That you are right with God. That you are no longer under His wrath. You are in Christ. That is peace with God. That is true peace with God. That's the peace of God that should, for the rest of your lives, until you see Him face to face, face, perplex you. Why me? How could such a wonderful God be so merciful to me? That is the peace that surpasses all understanding. Knowing that the judgment of God is no longer upon you. You are now in right standing with God. Where do we learn this? In God's word. In God's word. Holiness. What is it? Being made like Christ, the Holy One. We are being made holy. Through repentance and faith in Christ, it's the beginning of holiness. We're being made like Christ, being set apart, being made holy, being washed. As the word, as the song that we sang earlier, speak, O Lord. We, we are being washed with His Word this morning. How much have you heard this week throughout throughout your week? How much gossip have you heard? How many TV shows have you seen? How much uh, things that are not fruitful for your mind have you had to endure? Co-workers that say things that you just can't stand. You wish you could work with headphones on your ears. How many things have you heard throughout the week? How How much bad news have you gotten throughout the week? How much disappointment have you had throughout the week? And it's filling your mind. It's sticking to your mind. Well, this morning, come to hear God's word and let his word pour over your mind and wash your mind. Renew your mind. Oh, we need that, don't we? Oh, we need to hear God's word. And when it pours upon us, Lord, renew my mind. Wash my mind of all of the things that I've heard and had to think about all week. Why would you not attend to these means then? I had a good wash in the morning. You can come and get washed again in the evening. We come and we are washed by the word. We're praying that his will be done in our lives. We come to the table. We remember his, his work. We presently rejoice in his work. We look forward in hope to the return of Christ because of his finished work. We are made holy when we come to the waters of baptism. Oh gosh, think about this for a moment. Just pause, silence. Remember when you were baptized. Remember how the water felt? Remember how you felt when you first came up? You felt like you were born again. The waters didn't make you born again. It was like standing at the altar when you said, I do to your husband or to your wife. It was saying to everyone, I am his and he is mine. And I want all the world to know. We are one. Listen close. These are the means. To quench the spirit is to purposely neglect those means. It's to purposely purposely say I'm going to avoid that today though. I'm going to avoid the church, I'm going to avoid her assembly. You are quenching the spirit then. We stay away from the fire, It's no wonder that you get cold. You're feeling thirsty? Well, the water is flowing here. Come and drink. I am spiritually hungry. Why are you staying away from the food that is made fresh every Lord's day? The water flows. The bread is made available. Do not quench the spirit. Attend to the means and attend to them by faith, believing that God will cause you to grow, to be strengthened as you come to these means. Believe that you are being made more like Christ as his word is pouring over your mind this morning. It is here in the church that Christ pours out truth, holiness, peace and order. One may say, can I do this on my own at home? Can I just read the word of God on my own, pray on my own? Can I just take the supper at my house and baptize myself? No, no, you can't. You can read your word at home. You can pray at home and you should. But God has designed something specific for his church. The church does the things that God commands because the church is the church. If you're not a part of the church, then do what you want to do. But if you are a part of the church, then there's a certain order that God has called and and designed for his people, the church. And if you are part of the church and you fall in line with what God has designed for you, his people. The people who say, I just want to do it on my own. Fine. You're not a part of the church. Does that mean I'm not saved? Yup. That mean God doesn't love me? Well, to love God is to obey his commands. And if you want to say, I want to do things on my own, though, then the love of God is not in you. You're fooling yourself. we come to the means that god gives when we gather in the way that he has commanded god commands his church to be to be operated in a certain kind of way and if we di- divert or go away from the way that god has operated his church we're not a part of the church it's very simple to attempt to do things on your own is disobedience it's yielding to the flesh and not to the spirit it is quenching the spirit The church is not one person. It's not one sheep. It's not one son or one daughter. It's made up of peoples, tribes, a sheepfold, many sons and many daughters. And we are commanded to worship in the way that God has called us to worship as a unit, as a body, not as individuals. No, then you can't do these things on your own. Why? Because God said so. Not because, and it's helpful to remind you of the verse, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God. These are not things, because I could not come up with these things, that I sat with Pastor Isaiah and said, that's a good idea. Let's that, Oh yeah, let's do that one too. They'll love that one. They might not, but it doesn't matter. This is God's word. God is the one who designed these things for us. And we fall in line with what God commands. What's the main problem? The main problem is we often just want to do what we want to do. That's quenching the spirit, my friend. Perpetuating falsehood, living in unrepentant sin, disturbing the peace of the church, upsetting the order of the church. All of these things quench the spirit. And they even quench the, the, the production of fruit in our lives. One example I heard would be like building a brick wall. And each time that you fasten one of those bricks to that wall, someone comes behind, takes the brick off that you just put down. You put a brick up, they come and take it down. Put a brick up, they come and take it down. Construction and deconstruction, they don't go together. If we are to live in holiness and one is living in wickedness, that's a contrary work. Take the person who's taking the brick and admonish them. Brother or friend, you are not helping us grow. Put that back. We used to be a people who would try to deconstruct, fight against the work of Christ but now we are working in concert with him. Let's build together. The person who says, I'm just going to take this brick and I'm going to go build my own little home by myself. Why would you do that? Look at all of these people who are working together to build something by the help and strength of Christ. Let's do it together. Be zealous for truth. Be zealous for holiness, for peace and for order. So that when these things, when there are things that are contrary to these things, we will be ready, willing, and able to call those people who are working against them back to the work of the Spirit. If we are the people of God, we must not devalue the means that the Spirit uses to produce his work and his fruit. Now, we've just talked about uh, staying away from the means, and now I'm talking to you about devaluing the means. And, and they're, they work together. One stays away, and the other doesn't necessarily stay away, but devalues it when it is measured against other things. Today is a perfect day for this example, by the way. Didn't even realize it was Mother's Day uh, until like yesterday. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, They find that when the means of grace are given, they are devalued when they are compared with other things. The world has placed all of their holidays, for whatever reason, (laughs) on the Lord's Day. It's the work of the enemy. To place all of their holidays on this day. Our sense of value then is balanced or imbalanced when it comes to the Lord's Day. Every time we come to the Lord's Day, we are always challenged with what do we value most. God, His worship and His means, and the love for the saints... Or the things that we want to do. Every Lord's Day it's tested. Every Lord's Day. We all must confess. And if we're not confessing, we're lying. That There are activities, gatherings, hobbies, you name it. That arrive on the Lord's Day. And every single time we are challenged with what is the greater priority. What is the greater uh thing that, that is more important. What do I value most. Every Lord's Day. Dear Sojourner. God has given his people the Decalogue, the ten words, not nine. These have been written on our heart from creation. The fourth commandment calls us to give glory to God as we rest our bodies and our soul on his day. The Lord's day. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is the first day of the week after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his apostles. By their example, they collected and congregated on the Lord's day, the first day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We acknowledge it. We don't reject it, most of us at least, but we so often devalue it. God has sanctified the day. He has made it holy and we are commanded to honor it because it has honor in itself And we are commanded to give that honor that is due to God as we guard the day and keep it holy. It is sanctified and we are to guard its sanctity. We are to care for its holiness, to maintain it. We are challenged by so many other things. And again, you fill in the blank. And if we devalue this day and treat it less honorable than it is called to be, We don't keep it. We don't honor God. We don't value God then. Some may say, of course I honor God. Of course I love God. If you love me, you will keep my commands. What has he said? He also said, why do you say you love me? And you don't keep my commands. What has God commanded? God has commanded us to keep the day, to use it for worship and rest. God has said, gather with the saints, don't forsake the assembly. Uh, God has given us the means for our grace and for for, for grace and for growth. And we often are challenged with, do I value other things though? Well then, dear friend or saint, you are quenching the spirit. I'm amazed when people ask, usually not out of a desire to obey or for clarity, but usually out of a desire to disprove, show me where that's true. Show me the fourth command. Show me why it's still for today. How is it moral? How is it still applicable for today? And I always want to say, the church has upheld this command for over 2,000 years, devoted, and preachers better than me, smarter than both of us, maybe both of us put together, had devoted all of their time to study, to write, and to preach the word, and have upheld this day. And you were going to somehow come and disprove it? Because you heard one sermon? Or because you just don't like it? Or because it's not in concert with your tradition? Because you got other things going on? Do not quench the spirit. Don't do what you want to do. Yield to his commands, and if you're, you're resisting, but I just, I got so many things. Don't you see the benefit here though? The Sabbath was made for us, for our benefit, for our good. The Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. To fail to recognize how important this day is for God's people is to quench the spirit and not keep it holy. If God through the spirit blesses his people through certain means and they're offered on a certain day. Designated as the Lord's day. Well, then we would do well for our souls and gosh, for our families. If you have a family to obey that with all of our hearts. We're not here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We're not having activities all throughout the week. Why? You've got other things going on. But this is the Lord's Day. Dear Saints, how can we cultivate a greater love for the Spirit and what he produces? Ready for it? Okay, here it comes. It's going to be a hard one. It's going to be profound. How do we cultivate a greater love for the Spirit and what he produces? Obey his commands. Paul has told us what to do how to do this he has told us how to live and not to do things that are contrary to these things read uh, chapter 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians or read what the writer of the Hebrews says he says stir one another up to love and good works what am i doing this morning as you're being challenged i'm hopefully stirring you up hopefully saying yeah yeah I, you know i do need to obey these things don't get mad again to get mad at me would be getting mad at a man. the the The, the word, the commands, don't come from the man; they come from God. Uh, my sister might remember this. My uh, my auntie Sylvia, some of you may know her as Casey McBride. Uh, she had a kind of a, a Adobe pool. Is that what it's called? It was kind of a stand-up pool. And when we were kids, uh, we would all go in circles and we would try to make this whirlpool. We would. Try to stir it up, stir it up, stir it up, stir it up, stir it up. And then we would all let it take, it take us. And we'd be kind of floating in circles for three or four times. And then it would slow down. It was steady. It was often slow. We're pushing against, and then sometimes one of my cousins, one of the foolish ones, would, would go in the opposite direction. We'd push. What are you doing? You're working against us. You're breaking the whirlpool. we got to go this way. we be pushing and pushing. And then finally we'd let it take us. You guys remember that. Well, that's the way it is in the church. We're stirring one another up. We're going this way. We're we're all walking in this direction. Come on, let's work together. And when someone goes in the opposite direction, we say, what are you doing? You're working against us. We're all working together for this really wonderful, cool experience. It's obeying the commands of God and not stopping. It's stirring one another up to love and good deeds. I'm praying that I am being used by God this morning to stir you up. We are told not to neglect the assembling of yourselves. Not to neglect the means that God provides. Make sure that you prioritize the Lord's day. And fathers and husbands, I place this responsibility on you. Because God does. You are to lead your home. You are to be here with your family. I pray that I'm stirring you up this morning. You are charged by God. To be here with your family. I'm, I'm charging you to be here. Be on time. Be equipped. Be ready. It's important for you. It's important for your wife. It's important for your children. It's the greatest part of the week. Don't miss it. Uh, some of our kids are getting ready to exit school. My son has about a week left in school now. And we're all talking about things that we want to do in the summer. Uh, we plan it, we're plan planning trips and we get excited about what we might do and where we might go. You know, the most exciting thing that we do every week, though, is come and worship with the saints. Well, is it really? We're not staying in a fancy hotel, and we're not really doing all sorts of different... No, but the, the things that are offered here are of a greater value. They're eternally valuable. You will never lose or diminish the things that God is offering to you today. Disneyland, the Splash Mountain, the experience is going to go away from your mind. You need to go back there to get it again, and then it's kind of like oh, I wasn't as good as the first first time I went. But the things that God offers to you here, the means of grace, they are always good. They are always valuable. They are always a blessing. And don't you? When sometimes you want to stay home and you you decide to come, don't you? I'm so glad I came. I was gonna go. I wasn't gonna go, but I I I went after all. I'm so glad I did. Remind yourself of that the next time you're thinking I'm just not gonna go today. It's always worth it. Going to church is never, it's, it's never you'll never be disappointed when you come to RPC at least. You will always be blessed. I can't say that for all the churches in the city, but you will always receive the means of grace here. No matter who is behind this pulpit, the means of grace will be provided for the people of God and you will be blessed by them. I pray that you are being stirred up this morning. Are there providential things that keep us from gathering with the saints? Hindrances. Of course there are. There are sicknesses. There are difficult work schedules. There are things that you are required to attend. Not volunteer for. There's work that you are required to be at. Not that you volunteer for. And there are works of mercy that come up unexpectedly. Maybe you need to go pray for someone and they needed your help and encouragement. Praise be to God for that. You're pulling up. Uh, you're helping that, that, that Samaritan who was on the side. You're bandaging them up. You're being merciful to them. That's good. As long as you didn't have all week to be merciful to them and then you decided on the Lord's day at 10 o'clock between 10 and 12, I'm going to be merciful to them. I will say this too. Our times of prayer, they're still our least attended times of worship. Why? We are called to admonish, but I hope that you are being stirred up to love and good deeds and that you humbly receive it. There's fire burning here. Water's flowing. Food is here. Well, I was warm this morning. I drank this morning. I ate earlier. It's the Lord's day. Some of you, you'll eat breakfast. You're not going to skip lunch and dinner. Don't do that for your souls. We pray together. We'll be doing so at 4.30 from now on. But come. Why miss it? Is it not important? Is there no value here? It's the honor or honor the day. Think about What are you actually doing that you cannot join us for worship, especially in the evening? You're resting at home or resting in front of a TV. You can rest here in front of the word of God. Wouldn't you rather rest in the presence of hearing God's word? Doesn't your soul yearn for God's word? We're commanded to look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Why is it that we can grow? Why do we have the Spirit? Why are we here? In closing, it's because of Christ who gave you His Spirit. We would not be here. We would not be born again. We would not be indwelt with the Spirit, growing in the Spirit if it were not for Christ. If it were not for His life, death, resurrection, ascension, sitting down at the right hand of the Father, His glorious work of mercy and grace, We would be dead in our sin and trespasses. But he's made you alive. We would have no interest in the work of the Spirit if he was not within us, dwelling within us. So don't suppress him. He's in you for a reason. Don't suppress his truth. Don't suppress the light that he has given to you. Don't suppress the uprightness that he's calling you to. We would want nothing to do with peace and order if it were not for the work of the Spirit. We would be futile in our minds, living in darkened ways. But you're no longer the animal. I am no longer the animal that I used to be. We have a peace that surpasses all understanding. We may have had peace with our neighbor, but not peace with God. Now you have peace with God. We may have had uh, an orderly society, but now... You are ordered in Christ. God has given us a spirit so that we might live to glorify Him. Do not quench the spirit. Let's pray.